Thank you. Thanks for coming out, everybody. It's an awesome crowd. I'm going to try to stand where the lights aren't completely blinding me. I think we got it. Cool. So tonight I want to talk a little bit about, uh, I like alliteration, so it's this practical performance thing. But basically, how do we make websites faster? This talk is specifically about front-end work. Uh, I also have a blog post up on my blog about the back-end stuff that goes with this. So if that's more your flavor, feel free to just ignore me and go read that instead. So Kelly told you a little bit about who I am, but I'll give you a little bit more. I've been a developer since 1998. I was a, a freelance developer for years. I worked at Coptic slash Medium here in town for several years, and then I went back to freelance, and then I went to the Obama for campaign, as Kelly mentioned. So what do we do at Obama for America? Well, a few weeks into me being there, we built the first responsive campaign website in political history. If you don't know what that means, it means the same website worked on a cell phone, on a really crappy connection in a cornfield in Iowa, as worked at a really high-speed connection here in Chattanooga on your desktop. We developed systems that engaged about a quarter million volunteers on a weekly basis. So one of the, the things we had learned was we needed to have a lot of contact with our volunteers to make them more efficient. We also had fewer volunteers in 08. So this software we built actually did a 28% increase in efficiency over the previous version because we tested everything and we knew that. So we made up the lack of people with making their work more efficient. We registered a million voters online. It was the single largest voter registration drive on the internet by any one organization in history. It was really not easy. And we raised $690 million, uh, $125 million of that or more came as a direct result of testing and optimization, which was a group that lived inside of my team at the campaign. So what does performance mean? With the pondering Zach here, it just means speed. You'll hear this word thrown around a lot with these like really hipster Silicon Valley developers, like gotta make the website more performant. It just means you want it to work better. You want people to interact with it more. You want it to be faster. So we're gonna talk about a few ways tonight you can do that. Why do we do this? Well, at the campaign, as this is my deputy Kyle, we took an existing sort of PHP, MySQL, database-driven website for our donation system. We turned that into plain static HTML on an Amazon S3 bucket, which is a, basically the dumbest server you can run. And the speed difference in those two with the exact same page was a 14% increase in revenue. Um, and that was over a year. So as you can imagine, that's in the nine, eight, nine figure range. So some general rules for speed. This is when people mess up a lot and it's putting your markup in the right order and putting the right thing in the right place. Uh, I can always tell when a machine's made a website, especially like WordPress, because there's like 30,000 assets and they're all over the place. And why there's 131 downloads for this webpage, it's a blog. Uh, you can press all the assets that you can, especially text assets, they can press really well. You reduce the number of overall requests you're making, going back to that WordPress example, like put all those in one file, that's a much better way to go. You optimize images, and you cache the shit out of everything. Uh, and we're gonna delve into what all of these mean. So this is a really simple web page, right? You've got uh, your opening body tag, your head, header, main, because that's my favorite new element in HTML5, footer. At the top, we have our CSS file, because you want that to load first so that when people see the page, it's already styled. 
CSS downloading is blocking. That means the page will not render till it's downloaded and parsed. So you don't want to have 30 of those up there. You want to have one of those up there. Combine all your files into one, make it really fast. At the bottom, we put our JavaScript. Same reason. This is a blocking thing. But if the rest of the page is there and the CSS is downloaded, it'll show the page while the JavaScript's downloading. This is a perceived speed enhancement, even though the page is still running. You can also, and I don't think I did it on the example, you can throw a, an attribute on there of async, which means it actually stops being a blocking asset. So then you say, well, you're a liar. There's a script in your head tag. This is Modernizer. If you're a front-end developer, you probably know what that is. It's a feature detection system, so you can do uh, progressive enhancement on your page. This is the only one I allow on the head of the page because you need these rules that it adds to style the rest of the page without it moving around once the page renders for the person. The flash of unstyled content is the worst thing you could do to, to a user because they're just freaked out. Why did the page just change on me? So compress your assets. Like This is a standard one. You'll see this in every book, blog article, recommendation about this. But why does it matter? Because if you zip, gzipping is the program. It's an open source zip program. Compressing these assets typically means you're sending 70% less bandwidth down the wire. So when you're especially dealing with mobile, which is like half the traffic of the US internet, this matters a ton. So a, a 50K web page is now going down the wire at 20. That's a huge, significant increase. If you're running any major server, Apache, Nginx, um, IIS, you can just turn this on, let it run, it does its thing, you don't have to do anything. If you're crazy like me and you host everything on an S3 bucket, you have to do it yourself. You write scripts to automate it. This is the classic one, reduce the number of HTTP requests. So every single asset on the page, CSS, JavaScript, images, iframes, all those stupid social network buttons that don't do you any good anyway, those are the worst because they're a whole web page and a button that big. Um, Every time you do that, there's setup and teardown. It's overhead. It's taking time. Make the least amount possible. So if you've got, like I say, I've been working on a WordPress site this week, so you can tell where I'm griping about this. The WordPress theme by default outputs 20 separate style sheets. Why? They're not changing. Just put them in one style sheet and be done with it. This one, I think, is the biggest single one you can do to really save on bandwidth and, and help with users. And optimizing images is this tricky, murky science. I was actually at a, a conference last week at Google in New York where we talked about responsive images and sort of the future of this. And it's, it's just screwed up. The future is bleak. There's too much going on. Like, but Filament Group is this really awesome development company that does really great responsive work. Came up with a technique that I really like. So I'll show you kind of how it works. So this image here of this camera, and I'm saving it out for web like normal. I've done the smart things of making it progressive so you, people can see it download faster. I've stripped out all the metadata. And I'm running it at about a 60 quality. That's fairly decent, right? You don't want it to look too pixelated. You want it to look nice. My file size, which you guys can't read there, is about 92 kilobytes. Okay, not horrible. It's under 100. I would allow it at the campaign. That was the, the magic threshold. But what Filament Group found out was if we output it twice as big at zero quality, and then scale it in the browser, it actually looks better, and it's half the file size. <laughs> like, this trick is the key to like so much bandwidth savings. Zero quality. 
Yeah, uh, which sounds really redundant and it looks horrible. I mean, it's like huge chunks of pixels. And then you either with a background size property or the actual image tag, you just shrink it back down to the size you want. Bonus, your retina one's already taken care of. This is your retina image, you're done. It's a 50% file reduction. You can see the original article with all the tests, if you don't believe me, because they ran a lot of tests on this. Uh, dryan.com slash fgretina. And then I actually have the preset for Photoshop where you can just click retina compress and it's uh, JPEG retina on my website. And all these slides are up on my website at slash performant if you want to go watch them. So cache everything and cache it aggressively. Uh, Connor was really happy he made my slide deck, by the way, and the Viking helmet there. Uh, anybody, does anybody know what a CDN is in the room? What caching is? Awesome. So you have these assets, like your style sheets, your images, they don't change. You don't need the browser to re-download them every time you visit the page. So you put caching rules on them, which tells the browser, you can keep this file for 30 days before you ask me for it again. So think about that. Your first visit, you're downloading everything, and every page else on your website, like the only thing they're downloading is the actual markup that changed. This is like the single biggest thing you can do to like really increase stuff. But it's really funny how many people don't understand these rules. Or they don't want to do it because when they're testing, they, they, it doesn't update, and now I've got to refresh and clear my cache and blah, blah, blah. Deal with it. There are ways around this. Production code should always be cached. But as always, rules are made to be broken because you only live once. And uh, these rules are only made to be broken if you have a good reason. Being lazy doesn't count. So like, don't not cash because you don't want to deal with it. So a couple of rules that we broke at the campaign that I think are actually really useful for folks. CSS above the fold. This is a really cool idea that uh, if you go to this link here, it's dryan.com slash CSSATF. It's a uh, bookmarklet for your browser that will figure out every rule you need to just render what the user sees before they scroll. So you make that CSS file on the top of your page as tiny as possible. You put this, the rest of it in the bottom. This again, is in a, it's a perceived speed bump. We talk a lot about perceived speed bumps tonight. The page actually doesn't go any faster. It might actually technically go slower. That's okay. Now, I say above the fold, I have to throw in here, there is no fold on the web. Don't believe it, it's a lie, it's a myth. Anyone who tells you that it is, is wrong. They'll then quote Jacob Nielsen to you, who's like the father of UX. That study's 30 years old, and Jacob doesn't believe it anymore either. I believe this one so much, there are three links proving that there is no fault on the internet. I've had this fight way too often, as you can tell. So this was the discovery at the campaign that I was like sort of most surprised about. If you have a highly repeat visit website, so a web app more than a, than a website, you actually don't want to compile all your files into one. You want them separate. Because when you make one tweak to some little module that does something on one page, you don't want to re-download 100K of CSS. You want to download 12K. It makes your first visit a little tougher. So you got to do some optimization on that. How do we get that faster? But your repeat visitors, like we had at the campaign, we had these quarter million volunteers. We actually broke this up. So as we added features, they're getting these like tiny updates every time they visit the page. So, because they're in there to work. They're literally there to report numbers and like get their marching orders for the next thing. Don't get in their way. So, I actually picked this up from Facebook. If you look at Facebook's source code, which is, there's pluses and minuses to it, right? Like the whole page is just blank until they get JavaScript, which is a whole nother issue from last month. But 
there's like 30, 40 different JavaScript files in there because they write in modules. Like every part of that page is a separate code base. And that works really well for them. They were the ones we picked this up from. We took a lot of flack for it in the press and I wasn't allowed to talk about it. I'm like, you just, you don't understand. This is so much better. So this is one of my favorite phrases from the, from the campaign. The internet is hard, dude. Gibbs a really smart guy. This stuff's not easy. Like it takes thought. Anybody can throw up a web page, but to make it fast, to make it performant, you have to think about it. This has to become what you do day in and day out. Um, actually, he's got some slides that skipped here, so I'll just tell you what I was going to tell you anyway. The whole perceived speed thing I've been talking about, like if you can't be fast, fake it. If there's a bottleneck somewhere in your system that just can't be faster, you're running big database queries to render a page, fake it. Put up a spinner. Show them something. Do with an asynchronous call. My favorite example of this is Instagram. So when you take a picture on Instagram and then you like pick your picture and then you crop it and you go pick your filter if you're a hipster, then you go fill out the description and then you hit save and it uploads, right? Like that's the pattern, except that that's not the pattern. When you crop the picture, it uploaded. It's already there waiting on you to fill out all the little text stuff because that's super lightweight. That's why it feels so fast on a really crappy cell phone connection because they actually took the 20 seconds you were typing up your most clever caption ever to upload this picture in the background. It's the reason their app is full screen. You don't see it uploading. It's like these little tiny ticks. Uh, there's a really great article in uh, Fast Company Design that's the three white lies of Instagram and how they fake speed. Uh, totally go read it. It's really brilliant. That's my favorite one. Like, start uploading as soon as you know you can. Um, in the interview, they talk about sometimes, like, the user goes back and now they have a wasted photo. But they take the benefit of speed because it works really well for them. So that's basically all I have for you tonight. So we'll do some Q&A. Thank you guys for coming out. Yes. Um, the question was, what tools do I use to compress things? So there's a couple of things I use. Uh, I code on a Mac. I use CodeKit. That's my less compiler, my SAS compiler, image optimizer, all that kind of thing. Um, I think that's actually kind of old hat now. I don't do much coding, so I haven't changed my workflow. Uh, things like Grunt and Bower and all these like automated systems that just kind of watch a folder and then do all this on the fly for you and handle deploying. deploying. Uh, one of the things I never really dealt with before working at the campaign with the scale it was, was like how important deploy process is. And like once you've been through an automated deploy process that tests for you and uploads it for you and fixes the permissions and makes sure it all worked, you'll do it on every website you do, even if it's for 10 visitors, because you don't want to think about it. So you build it into that process. Just let your deploy script handle all of that stuff. Um, if you want to go the S3 route and build static websites, which I highly recommend, I actually have an open source script called Deploy that uploads to S3, does your gzipping, all your compressing for you. You type in five characters and hit enter, and there you go. Six, because I can't count. So another one. I can't see this area at all. So just yell if you have a question. We ran a heterogeneous system, which is to say we ran everything. Um, because getting code out the door in a hurry was the primary goal. 
we'd let the developers do it whatever they knew the best. So we ran Ruby, Python, Node, PHP, and several different frameworks on top of all of those. Uh, expression Engine, static files. We ran a lot of static files uh, on like static JSON, things like that. Flask, database-wise, MySQL, Postgres, um, a really proprietary one. Uh, I can't even remember the name of it anymore. That's built for election data. It's hardware and software, and it's Vertica. Sorry, Vertica stack. And then uh, all of this ran on Amazon Web Services. So we ran some stuff on like their MySQL system, their, their database service. A lot of our databases were bigger than that service could handle, so we just built really big EC2 boxes and ran them ourselves. Um, so really, whatever you want to write in. Like I wrote a lot of Django while I was there. Um, my team wrote in Expression Engine mostly. That was what the, the what we called dub dub dub. The main website was Expression Engine, but we ran 250 apps, so it was everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, the, the asset management in Django has gotten a lot better in the last few versions in general. Um, like you can actually deploy over to an S3 bucket for you if you want to do like separate domain, that kind of thing. I don't have a particular one that does compression. It's super simple to do. Like you could write a, a command line argument for that in about five lines. And if you want me to help you write the five lines, just shoot me an email. Because um, I hadn't thought of it, but yeah, we should put that out there. Anybody else? On the responsive web design, what kind yeah. of frameworks did you use? Did you use like Bootstrap or ISIS or whatever? Just use nope. your own custom, you know, at the you know, So uh, we would have used Bootstrap if Bootstrap was six months older. It it's constantly stayed six months behind where we had where we needed it to be. It wasn't mobile first until earlier this year. And mobile first was our mantra. Again, like we literally had ten thousand volunteers in Iowa and rural edge connections on their cell phone. And like it had to work for them. Um, so when you build for that, everything else kind of takes care of itself, right? So there's a lot of stuff. We actually, through our CDN, had like bandwidth detection classes. So we would not load images on slow connections, that kind of thing. Um, we actually, we, I, on a Saturday, built our grid. Uh, it had a couple of things that nobody else was doing. Because we used a, a CDN that was on a different domain for all the cookie reasons and benefits of that, all of the polyfills for media queries don't work cross-domain without a ton of effort. So we actually wrote one that doesn't use any polyfills and no JavaScript. Mobile first, works in IE, blah, blah, blah. It's called CSS Smart Grid. If you Google it, you'll find it. It's um, minified in gzip is 0.6 kilobytes. So super tiny, works really well. Uh, fully responsive from its single column all the way up to you can go widescreen, desktop, like you can do HD on it. Yeah, and I've, I think I made a lot of converts. Like all my campaign staff still use it because it was like super simple to use. And it's CSS Smart Grid, named in honor of Chattanooga. So. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, our entire donate system was Jekyll. Uh, the question was, we use Jekyll. Jekyll's a, a static website generator. Uh, I love it. My website runs on it. We ran all of our donate forms on it, which was arguably the most important thing we were doing because if we didn't have the money, nothing else was going to happen. Anything you can make static, make static. Because then you can sleep at night because it can't break. 
which is really handy when you only get four hours of sleep a night. <laughs> Anybody else? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I use Page Insights from Google. I like that one the most, partially because they just added a check that if you're doing this compressive images technique, you don't get a ding for it. Because it used to be that if you were scaling down images in the browser, they would tell you that was bad and you should stop doing that. And they've come on board with that too. So they actually can tell if that's what you're doing and you can get back to being in the 90s on that. Um, YSO's fine too, I think any of them. The Smush It tool from Yahoo that like compresses images is really great. Anything that can optimize that's awesome. We used one at the, uh, the campaign called Kraken, kraken.io. That's an API for compressing images that is the most compressive I've ever seen. Uh, our fine folks at the blog didn't understand that putting full res pictures from Flickr was a performance problem. And our website homepage was 20 megabytes one day. And uh, so we, we built them a system that ran everything through Kraken for them and resized it and fixed their, their issues. When I told them that it was more than their salary that they were costing us in hourly bandwidth, they got the point. Hi. Yeah, I, I think that you have to automate it. This cannot be something that people have to think about. So if you have a CMS that people upload images into for a blog, like you just need to handle all of that compression for them because they never will. Um, also, you don't want to do it either. You have better things to do. Like, you want to make fun things and new things. Like, we, like developers get bored, right? Like we don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over. My rule is if I do a task three times, the third time is I'm automating it. Like I'm writing a script and it's, I'm never doing it again. So yeah, you have to just build all this stuff in, uh, which is why I'm a huge fan of custom code because like I mean the open source stuff just doesn't do I mean unless you write like a ton of plugins for like a WordPress you don't get any of this stuff thank you guys